Well, everyone, good morning and welcome. If you're watching um, our live stream, it's so good to have you. Sorry, we're a few minutes late. We had a couple of tech issues trying to work it out. Um, I'm in the brand's home this morning, so maybe, Shaul, you can just show everybody the, the group in the room. Um, this is Johannes and Ali's home, and we are broadcasting from this group this morning. So thanks for having me and our family, and it's really awesome to, to be with you guys. This morning, I want to speak about the most marvelous plan ever the most marvelous plan ever and we're going to do that out of ephesians chapter one and i fancy myself as someone who um, makes fairly decent plans i love making plans um, and my staff know this and they get quite frustrated with me my elders know this and they also get a bit frustrated with me sometimes because i have about 500 plans a day um, some of which need to be implemented and some of which really should just be um, benched but i've done this since i was a little kid i remember um, a couple of real fails. I was thinking about them this week. And one of them was uh, we had this dairy farm and it had this huge roof that went kind of like a, a, a what do you call it? A, a, a sheeting, the zinc sheeting roof. And it, it was quite steep and then it tapered off at the bottom onto this big flat part and then it had a bit of a drop off at the end. And, and when it rained, we'd come up on the roof and we'd slide down. You'd put one foot on this side and one foot on that side and you'd kind of ski down the roof. And then one day I had the, the great idea what we need to do is get sunlight liquid and put sunlight liquid on the roof when it's raining because then we're going to go very fast but the problem is that the sunlight liquid gives you so much momentum that you kind of go right to the end of where we used to stop and you just keep on going and you can kind of drop off another one was um finding a horse harness in uh, one of our storerooms on the farm and thinking to myself I wonder what I could do with this horse harness. And I had a brother who's, I have a brother who's four years younger than me. And so I rigged it up on him like a climbing jig. And then we went to the tall silo. It was about 30 meters high, I think. And we climbed up to the top and I took a rope and then I put him in the top and I lowered him down into the silo. It was a great idea and we had great fun. But the problem was I couldn't get him back out again. And so we had to get some um, help. And so all these stories that we're, talking about these plans that we make, but I want to speak to you this morning about the greatest plan that was ever birthed in the mind of God, the most beautiful thing that we're going to read from in Ephesians chapter 1. So if I can ask, um, who's reading for us this morning? Ira, are you reading? Ira, if you'd come and read the scripture for us, and then I think Michelle is praying, is that right? That's wonderful. So let's hear God's word this morning, and then we'll talk together. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Christ Jesus and himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he has made us accepted in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound towards us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, 
he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Heavenly Father, we just give you glory and praise for this new day, Lord. We give you glory and praise for the plan that you have, not just for this day, Father, but for each and every step into our future, Father, the days that you've given us, Lord. Father, we thank you, Lord, that not only have you blessed us with peace and grace, Father, but with all blessings of the spiritual heavenly beings, Father God. All blessings that you have for us in the spiritual realm, Father, are ours because you have welcomed us into your family, Father. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you've given your Son. And I pray, Father, that this morning as we hear your truth, you will rent our hearts to that truth, Father, that you gave your Son for us, Lord, that we could be a part of this family, Father, adopted sons and daughters, Father God. Father, we thank you for the testimony of fostering, Lord God, of the people that have stood firm on your word, Father God, in, in love, Father. We thank you that your, the source is you. We thank you, Lord, that each one of us has access to that love, Lord. We thank you that you've taken the lonely and the alone and you've placed us in a family, Father. We thank you for your uh, love and dedication to us, Father, that you called us while we were still sinners, Father. And we thank you, Lord, that by your Spirit we can hear your truth, Father God. So, Father, as we commit this day to you, we commit this word to you. We ask your blessing on Paul as he speaks your truth, Father. We thank you that your Holy Spirit reveals your truth to us because you called us by name into this family, Father. We pray that you will have your way with us, that you will open our ears to your truth, that you will anoint the words spoken from this pulpit this morning, Father God, and that not one will go away without having heard and without a seed being sown, Father. We love you. We give you glory and praise. May all that we gather today give you glory and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Sure, guys, that's a killer combination of reading and prayer. <laughs> Beautiful. All right, so we're going we're gonna to focus today um, predominantly on verse 3 to 14, and, and especially on the earlier verses is where we're going to focus. But as we do that, I want to just remind us of a few quick things. The first one is this, the plan is a blessing. This is what it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ Jesus with every spiritual blessing. Later on, the end of verse 4, beginning of verse 5, it says, In love. This is the motivation of this text in Ephesians 1. And we spoke about this extensively. Thanks, Sergio. 
spoke about this extensively last week. We had a time on Tuesday night where we came together for those who wanted to deep dive. Nathan Fisher led us incredibly in that time um, on this issue of, of being chosen and predestination. But I just want to remind us that we are lavished in grace, that it's motivated by the love of God, that it's for our blessing. That we should never leave this passage of Scripture thinking anything other than that. The second reminder is that this the plan is always and only in Christ. This is where I spent the whole of last week speaking through the, the 40 times plus that Ephesians speaks about being in Christ, in the beloved, in Him, through Him, all this language in Ephesians. Without Jesus, this is the reminder, there is no coming to the Father. It is only in Christ that every spiritual blessing is ours. We don't have it through following principles, no matter how helpful the principles are. We don't have it because we tithe or because we're kind or because we're good or any of these things. We have it because we are in Christ, the spiritual blessings. The third reminder is this, that the plan involves a complete change of realm. It's not just a little bolt-on that you add to your life, like a Christian bolt-on. This is a complete change, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places peter speaks about not being a people and then being a people like you once i was not part of a people now i am part of a people peter speaks about from darkness and moving from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light uh, paul in philippians speaks about being citizens and he says you are you are citizens of this world now you are citizens of 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 god's kingdom of christ's kingdom and there's over and over this is the language jesus speaks often about moving from death to life, which is perhaps the most profound of all of this kind of kingdom-changing language. But it's not just life as normal. The plan involves a complete change of realms, this, this amazing plan that we're speaking about today. And then the last of the reminders that I want to... I spoke about some of these things in brief last week, but the reminder out of this text is that the plan should lead to worship. That's the goal of this plan that God has put in place that we're going to look at. It should lead... To worship. The plan is so amazing that when someone hears about it, they should fall down and worship. They should fall down and marvel at, at God and what God has done and the plan that He's put together. They should glorify God. We should not fall down and simply philosophize. We should not fall down and write a book. We should not fall down and say, well, will you see what He's doing here? Is, is this and this and this, and we get so cerebral on the Bible that we forget that the plan is so amazing that it leads us to worship and glorify God. That's the main purpose. And worship is the, the most fitting and the only fitting response when God's wonders and His marvels are revealed to us. I, I, don't, understand, I don't understand Christians who say, I, I don't get worship. I don't get worship. And I know what they mean. They don't like the way we sang the song or they don't like the drums in the song. But as, as, as Christians, our defining smell, the defining perfume of our lives ought to be a heart full of worship, ready to glorify God, ready to say all praise to God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. All right. So those, with those reminders in place, I want, to, I want to get going on what is this most marvelous plan Ever. What, what is it? Well, it happens in three parts. In, in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 3 to 14, you'll see three movements. The first one is that it speaks about the past. It speaks about the plan before the foundations of the earth. It's the past. Then it speaks about Jesus Christ coming. 
and it speaks about the present, and then it speaks about a day which is yet to come. Speaking just now with Rio, we're just talking about the, the glorification of our earthly bodies one day, and the plan that is yet to come. We don't see it now, we see it kind of in part. And the other thing that's really great to notice in this text in Ephesians is that each of the God here, the Trinity, is displayed in all three of these things. So you'll see that the predominant actor in the first part, in the past part, is the Father. We'll speak about that in a moment. And in the second part, in the present, it's Jesus. And in the future, it's the Holy Spirit. He speaks about the seal of the Holy Spirit and the guarantee of the Holy Spirit. And so we see the Trinity at work in this Ephesians text. So we're just going to do that very simply this morning. We're going to speak about part one, the past, part two, the present, part three, the future. All right. So verse four, to four, four five, and six speaks about the past, 6a. Right? And it says this, even as he, so let me stop there and ask you, who's the he as he chose us? That's the father. It's God the Father, right? So even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him, that's before the Father, in love He, the Father, predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. And that's that's the hinge point. That's the transition now into the present. In the beloved is Jesus, but that's what we'll get to in a moment. So what we need to remember here is that the plan was before time, before the foundations of the world. And who initiates that plan? The Father. So this is what you could, how you could summarize those verses. God the Father, before history began, chose a people for himself. God the Father, before history began, chose a people for himself. What for? Why did he choose these people? Well, see what it says? To be holy and blameless before him. It wasn't a chess club. It's not a social club. It's not your mountain biking group of buddies. This is a holy and blameless people that God said, I am choosing them before the foundations of the world. They are mine. There's a theologian who says there's not one part of any particle on earth that God does not Stand over it and declare, mine, mine. This is his people. It's God's people. Now, predestination is a great mystery. And I'm not going to stand and claim to understand it, even in part. It's a, it's a great and wondrous mystery. But what I do want to say is that one thing is absolutely sure. There's a lot of mystery, but one thing is sure. There really is such a thing as God's predestining work in the lives of God's people. And without it, not one of us would be saved. Without it, not one of us would have the grace flow. However it happens. I don't know the mystery of how it happens. I don't know. But what I do know is it does happen. And that's why we're sitting here this morning. And then there's three very key implications that I want to highlight from this is how I'm being a really good Baptist preacher this morning. I three points and then a drop down, three points and then another drop. But there's three really key thoughts that come out of this. When you understand that God the Father is initiating a people for himself in the past, it's already done. There's three key things. The first one is this. Salvation did not begin with anything in you or I. Before you did a single thing, whether that was good or whether that was bad. God had 
already chosen before the foundations of the world. So the, the simple question is, is this, were you there? Was I there before the foundations of the world? Well, well, of course not. So how could it be to do with my behavior? How could it be to be with whether I was good or bad or talented or, or poor or wealthy or brought, brought up in a, in a private school or a government school? How could it have been any of those factors? It didn't start with me. And Paul's point in saying that God's salvation is before the foundation of the world is to make sure that we understand that it's clear that God's plan is not based on anything we can do or have done or will do in our future. Before, there we go, before we have done anything good or bad, God has decided to have a people for himself and he wants them to be distinct and holy and set apart and blameless and to live lives that look different because they've moved from one kingdom into another kingdom. Guys, I want us to think about this. This implication is incredibly relieving. It's incredibly freeing when we realize that my behavior, as important as it is on the one hand, is not the criteria that God is looking at to say, mine. That before I did a thing, when I wasn't even there, God looked and said, mine. That boy from Harding, that little farmer's boy that grows up with his granny, that poor, that, he's my boy. He's mine. And your name you could put in there. The second key implication flows straight off the back of that. If, if God has chosen us for salvation, well then this text clearly teaches that He's also chosen us for holiness and blamelessness. And that means that if God, let me read to you from Michael Eaton. He's one of my favorite theologians. He's a pastor theologian who pastored in the slums of Kenya until his death two years ago. This is how he says it. He says, why does Paul want to tell us about the predestination of God? Because, he says, if God has determined that I should be holy, then there is some encouragement for me. If God is determined to do this, then I can be confident that it's going to happen. If God has resolved before the foundation of the world that I'm going to be conformed to His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, then I have reason to believe that He is not just going to save me, but He's also determined to bring me through to holiness. If God, that is, if, it is God, if God has decided that I am going to be his child according to the pleasure of his good will and not according to the pleasure of my will, then I can be sure that God is going, on, that God is going to go on working on the, in this way in my life. It is his good pleasure. It is what he wants to do. It is not dependent on how clever or how good I am. All I have to do is cooperate with him. And he determines to achieve his purpose in my life. This is profound because it doesn't just mean that our salvation is in God. It means that our holiness is also in him. So I would call this, the word I love to use is being kept. So you are going to be holy, not because you wake up early and have your quiet time. Although God does want you to do that and that's part of the cooperating, right? But it's because God has determined before the foundations of the world were laid that the people would be called to himself, who would be holy, and who would be blameless. The third implication, the third implication is, a, is an evangelistical one, evangelistic one, and it's this, that if God chooses, no one is beyond reach. Now that sounds contradictory to some of you will be thinking, but if God chooses, then you, know, you know the whole thing. And some of you would think immediately, this is not fair. 
everyone should be able to choose. Well, there's, there's two thoughts there. I don't know if I'll get to the second one for time, but the, the first one is this. There are, just, there are billions and billions of people who are not going to choose God. They are so far from God. This, you, you might, this, there might be people who come to mind straight away for you. Maybe it's a son or a daughter that you've been praying for years and years and years for. Maybe it's a friend who actively would talk to you about their hatred of God and their hatred of God's people. So there's people that we know in all of our lives, maybe you've come from here, who are so far from God. And maybe in addiction or in a brokenness or whatever it is, they are so far from God that when you look in on their lives, you think, they are never going to choose Jesus. They're never going to choose Jesus if they're just left to their own. Give them the choice. Give them the choice. Let them choose. They're never going to choose Jesus. If the churches, I wrote this, if their choice is theirs, honestly, they are stuffed. Right? They put them on a shelf. When we realize that God chooses, suddenly into those situations which look completely hopeless hope flows suddenly when we feel like we need to stop praying because this person's never going to come when we remember but god you've chosen please would you bring them you can reach and god can reach into the most impossible scenarios this is what we were talking about last week around the apostle paul where he says chosen by the will of god he didn't go looking for god god chose paul and said my instrument to the gentiles i choose you Paul was killing Christians, running around persecuting the church. You would have looked at him and said, that's the guy who could never get saved. And yet in God's sovereignty, God says, mine. And this is, this is an incredible implication because it speaks to us about the heart of God for those who cannot choose for themselves. And so for me, that fills me with hope and with renewed vigor to pray and to speak the name of Jesus to Many people. I, it's so beautiful, this text in Ephesians. It's, it just makes you like, like Paul does here. I just want to explode with praise. All praise to God. Alright, so this, this is part one of the plan. Past. God's plan before history began. Initiated by God, already been there. Past. Part two is present. We're going to read verse 6 to 10. This, I would say, God gives us salvation in this age. That's the major theme from, from this part of being present. Verse 6 to 10 says this, To the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us. Notice the language. The riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. And so in this, this I would summarize kind of this text as saying, Enter Jesus. Jesus comes into this part of the plan. So where the first part is initiated by the Father, this part is on the back and the, on the activation of Jesus Christ. I don't know what the best um, word for that is. And the, the whole section really of this incredible part of God's plan could be summed up with this word, grace. Grace I defined last week. It's a, it's a simple definition. Help from God that I don't deserve. 
So there's nothing in the credit column. There's nothing you've done that you can lean on and say, well, you remember when I came and I helped you and you moved house? Well, I'm moving house. Can you come and help me? Because I, you know, I've got something in the credit now. You can't. Grace is getting something that we do not deserve. And so it's, 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 I desperately need the help. And when I press the help button, the person on the other end is God himself. That's the grace that is being spoken about here. Now let me ask you a, a practical question. Before you came to Christ, now some of us came to Christ very little and you might not have much experience of that. Some of us came to Christ later on having a lot of regrets and a lot of consequences even of the life that we had lived. Let me ask you this. What, what was lavished over your life before you came to Christ? What were you rich in? What was when, when Ephesians speaks about being rich in grace, what were you rich in in your previous life? And I think if I think about it, most of the experiences that I hear about it are people who are rich in sin, reaping a harvest of, of sin, and often joyfully so, or, or, or seemingly joyfully so. They, they were rich in addiction, rich in um, all sorts of, of different things, and ultimately despair and hopelessness. And not knowing where to turn. It's, it's an absolute tragedy that this young matric girl in, in Rhenish took her own life this last week. It's an, it's an absolute tragedy when we see a, a young woman of that age so desperate, so desperate and so full of despair that there's nowhere else to turn. And yet what Ephesians offers us is that instead of having this life lavishly filled up with sin and the riches of sin, we have the riches of His grace. Just think of the language that Paul is using here. The riches of God's grace. It's like this unlimited, it's like having Bill Gates as your father and saying, Dad, can I have something for Christmas? And it's like, well, of course you can. Look at the riches of my bank account. It's like the riches of God's grace is astounding. And then he says, he, he lavishes, there's nothing miserly about the grace of God. There's nothing like, you know, Lord, I sinned yesterday and I said sorry and you forgave me and I did it again today and I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can ask you anymore because I asked you yesterday. God's grace is lavish. I read somewhere um, recently a theologian who wrote that if we preach grace properly, people should think we're heretics. That's quite a, quite a bold statement, but he's saying we, 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 when we really get grace and we preach how you can come to God in everything and you can keep on sinning and sinning and sinning, and yet still God can say, you're my son, you're my daughter, and I love you in the midst of the most terrible sin. Wow, the church doesn't like that. Your cheap is one strike and you're out, buddy. You did, you did what? Right? That's, and that's what gets lavished on us in this new kingdom. Grace upon grace, riches of grace. Some of us need to hear this. Some of us need to allow ourselves to be more like God in the way that God gives grace. We always think about trying to be more like God in terms of holiness. Some of us, God is the most gracious being there ever was, and yet you hold yourself to some standard where you're so ungracious to yourself. You need to be more like Jesus. You need to be more like God the Father who pours out grace on those around him on you right and then there comes a day where we see the father planning and choosing before the foundation of the world grace he wants a people for himself he wants to pour out grace but there comes a day where in my life 
I experience the abundant grace of God. It's not just a people chosen for God. It's me. It's in my life. It's personal. It's, it's amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saves a wretch like me. I once was lost. I was blind. But now I see. It's this, it's this personal. You know, John Newton wrote that song. It's fascinating to go and look at that man's life. When he was six or seven years old, his mother passed away. His father was a seaman, went to sea, um, tried to escape the Navy, got, got many lashes and, and um, what's the word, demoted down to like just a seaman, uh, was, was left on the shores of West Africa because he upset his crew so much that they left him in slavery. He was enslaved himself. He then went back to England and became a slave master of a ship and for many years transported and later on admitted to terrible things that he had done. But then he joined forces when he came to Christ with William Wilberforce and was a major driver in the abolition of slavery. This is John Newton who wrote this song. This man has, has traded people's lives, things he could never go back and rewind. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. It's this, this grace over my Life. He knew, John Newton knew what grace was. A reminder, grace is help I don't deserve. Help from God, specifically in this context, that I don't deserve. But then it doesn't just stay personal. It also has this spilling out effect. And this undeserved grace is meant to flow out from us to others. Do you see how that text ends? In verse 10, as a plan... Let me find it here, verse 10, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things on heaven and things on earth. This grace is meant to splash out from us. Look at the world. Look at what is, what is our greatest need. Since men and women have fallen into sin, the entire universe is in disarray. It's not something that just Christians are saying. You ask any, any psychologist, any person working with families, anybody working in politics, the world is in disarray. It's broken. We, we're hateful on every level. We've just learned to be more civil in the ways that we do it. Yes, we don't have slavery per se anymore, but the way that we uh, think about race, the way that we think about gender, the way we think about those who are different to us, bitterness and anger between families and tribes and countries. How many more... People need to tell us that their children no longer speak to them or the parents are no longer part of their lives. Or it's just there's so much brokenness. God and man are, are enemies. Every even creation won't cooperate properly. Right? All the weeds, if any gardeners in the room, any time you're trying to garden and just creation, like is, it says it's, one of the texts says creation is groaning for the end of time. It's groaning. Creation won't cooperate. And so this grace. That God wants to pour out on the riches of, of on us, on the riches of His grace. He also is yearning to pour out on the world. And we are some of the, the, the cartons or the carriers of that daily grace into the world. Does that make sense? And just like, you know, Christians, can I, can I just speak to Christians for a moment? To us who follow Christ. If you've lavishly received grace, won't you give some? In the same measure, lavishly, like so many of us, we don't go to church anymore because church is bad in the past. And I get it. I, I've hurt people too. I've been an idiot too. I, I really am. 
But grace, I extend grace because the Father has extended grace. Maybe there's a relationship in your life that you say, I'm never going that, never again. That person has taken me too far. As you, is God in there with you? Is God said, that, that's it. Last strike, you're out. This, this is our model, Christians. This is our pattern. It's not just where I think the line is. It's as, as I want to be given grace, so I need to give grace. But some of us could be so, so much more gracious with our language to those around us. You know, always having to tell someone that they've come up short, uh, even when they know they have. But, you know, just, you know I've, got, I've got to tell you, I'm terrible at that. I'm, I'm really trying to unlearn that family habit. But just, just being able to say, Kate said to me the other day to, about our kids, she said, just say, that was amazing. It's because you know, someone t- does a dish, tidies up a dish and takes it to the kitchen. It's something I really love when they do that. And then instead of just saying, I love it when you take a, a dish to the kitchen, thank you. I, I find, I just instinctively will say, I'm so glad you took that dish to the, to the kitchen because you don't normally, you know? And it's just that little hook. You don't normally, man, we need to just audit and just say, God, as you've lavishly, richly poured out your grace over and over and over on me, help me, help me pour it out on others. Is this helpful? So simple, but these simple things are what we need to be reminded of. And God's plan is to bring it all back together again, to unify all things in Him, in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. Let's move on. Plan, part of the plan three, or plan part three, is the future and God's plan for the future. And I'll be very brief here, but this, is, this actually warrants another whole preach on its own. So I think it's quite a, a misunderstood part of, of theology. But chapter 1, verse 11, in Him... Speaking about Jesus still, we have obtained an inheritance. And that's the hinged verse. Now you know that he's not talking necessarily just about earth. He's also talking about our future glorification. Having been predestined, pointing back to the past, according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory in him, You also, when you heard the word of truth, can I just stop there for a moment and explain what's happening in verse 12? Paul is writing and saying, we who were the first to hope in Christ, he's speaking to the Jews. He's saying, we were the first. We were the first to hope in Christ. Now he's writing to Ephesians who are largely not Jews, they're Gentiles. And then he goes, but it doesn't stop with us. You also. So that's if you ever wondered why that you also is there, that's what he's saying. You also, you Gentiles also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. This, if you, if you throw your mind back to Acts, this is what the Jews marveled at. Because the Jews were, were, Jesus was saying the whole time to them, like, I've got, an, I've got a people beyond just the Jews. I, your, your plan is not my plan. I didn't come here to overthrow the Romans. I didn't come here just to just be a king to the Jews. I've got a much bigger plan in mind, but they didn't click. And they struggled for it to click. And then, 
when we see the book of Acts, it still doesn't click. The Holy Spirit pours out and it's all the Jews, it's the Jews, it's the Jews. And then one day, Peter goes into the house of a man called Cornelius after he's had a vision and Cornelius has had a vision. And as Peter is preaching, it says the Holy Spirit fell on them. And then Peter takes massive criticism when he goes back to Jerusalem. Because it's, how come you went to the Gentiles? Why were you, why were you eating with the Gentiles? How could you possibly? We're the chosen race. They're not the chosen race. We're the ones, Israel. We're the Jews. That's why Paul's so important. What he's saying is we were the first to hope. But then Peter says to them, but guys, the Holy Spirit fell on them. Just like he did at Pentecost on us. And then everyone, suddenly it says, they marveled. Go and read it in Acts. They marveled and they said, surely then he's called them to be his own people. Right? That was the mark. When the Spirit fell on them, there was no more, dispute. there was no more disputing it. That was the mark. And that's what Paul is pointing back to here. When he says, you Gentiles, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. He fell on you as well, who is the guarantee of, of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. And that little phrase shows us that he's talking about the future until we acquire possession of it. So the way that I like to think about this is that there's a huge safe, right? Imagine there's a safe and it's full of Michelle's inheritance, Jacobus's inheritance, Alan's inheritance. It's your inheritance. It's there. It's this beautiful rewards and inheritance for the, the, what you've done here on earth. It's there in heaven for you. But the Holy Spirit is like a seal on that. And I would like to say that's almost like the key to that safe. And it's not, it's not the riches itself. It's not the inheritance itself. But it's something of a foretaste. It's a promise. So when it says here at the end, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So I think, how, how, how do I remember that? How is it helpful to remember that? It's the key for the safe. It's the guarantee. It's yours. Just not yet. You've just got to go through this little, very painless, apparently, process called death. Um, not really. I don't mean to be trite. It's just what I'm hoping for. A sudden... Shock attack. <laughs> An inheritance. Sons and daughters. Adoption. Redemption of sin. Grace upon grace. Riches of grace. Lavished upon us. The guarantee of the Holy Spirit. Poured out the the. I was chatting with Robin who did the Sir Steli's video for us. I was chatting with her the other day and just asking her about the assurance of salvation. You know that phrase? Just speaking about those people who just know that they know that God is. And, and not everyone has that. There's many believers who, who still are just a, a little bit unsure. And Robin was saying for her it was the moment of water baptism. Which is just marvelous for me. I just love how it's just so different. We try to box God and this is how you receive the Holy Spirit. This is how you get an assurance of salvation. Guys, it's so different for each of us. But I just, I just love that she was saying that before that moment, every time there was, a, there was a, a call at church, are you a believer? She was like, oh, I'm, I'm not sure yet. I'm not, I'm not. And the moment she was baptized and she came out of the water, from that day forward, she's just had this deep, deep assurance that I am his and he is mine. It's a beautiful thing. And I think that's some of what is being spoken about here. You are sealed with the promised 
Holy Spirit. There's something of a sealing, of an assurance. And I want to encourage those of you who don't have that to pray. To not just give in and say, well, I'm just going to never be sure and I'm going to actually just wait until... No, pray now. That It's a beautiful gift that God would, in your heart now, make you sure that you are sure that you are His. I think it was Martin Lloyd-Jones who said that he was actually speaking about the experience of the Holy Spirit. and He was saying that it's like a father walking with his son along a road and holding his son's hand. And in that moment, does the son know that he is loved? Yes, he does. He knows that he's loved. He has an awareness of his father. He says, but then his father, in some, some emotional kind of moment, or in, in just in an instinctive fatherness, he, he gathers that child in his arms, and he, he pulls him close, and he hugs him, and he says, my boy, I love you. I'm proud of you. And he holds that son, and he says, does that boy know he's loved? Yes, but in a whole different way. In an experiential way, it's an assurance of his dad's love. And it's, it's wonderful to know that our father loves us, but it's even more wonderful. So I'm saying, seek the greater gift. Ask God, keep praying and say, Father, I want to know. I want that assurance. I want to walk with you, yes, but I also want you just to gather me in your arms and just say, you're mine. I'm proud of you. I love you. All right, I want to, I want to finish there. Our time is done. Let me read verse 3 for us one more time. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That's the promise. And then Paul, for the rest of this text, verse 4 to 14, is actually unpacking what those spiritual blessings are. And that's what we've been talking about. So, past, chosen, the Father, initiated by the Father, chosen, kept, holy, blameless, no one beyond reach, these are the implications. The present, grace, redemption. I wish I had more time to speak about that beautiful word, redemption, and what it means. Forgiveness, united, all things united. Jesus. That's the second part. And then the future. And, and what I didn't say about the future is that some of that unification of all things coming back together, there's only a part of it that can happen now. You know, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We're praying that and we're seeing a little bit of it. But like through a veil, right? It's on the other side where we're truly going to see every nation, every tribe, every tongue, worshipping together in every language before the throne. There's no one excluded there. I love how the writer of Revelation just goes through it's, you know, every nation. Okay, that's okay, we got that. Yeah, but every tribe, every tongue, every language. He just, I think it's those four things, maybe it's even more. Just getting narrower and narrower until there's no one out of that circle. But the future, full, fully uniting us, inherent, inheritance, Guarantee of our inheritance. The most amazing, marvelous plan ever, right? The most amazing plan that our God has for us. So in your groups, if you're watching, I'm going to encourage your group leaders to lead you in communion now. Uh, this is something we do. Just, it's such a beautiful text to do it out of as well. As we think about Christ and what He's given us to remember Him is so precious in communion. But if you are watching alone or with your family at home, I know there's even um, my mom and dad, actually my, my mother and father-in-law are watching in Wales. So mom and dad, it's good to have you there. You've been watching for months and others are watching from different parts of South Africa. Maybe you can't gather with us and I want to encourage you to also, don't, don't lose this moment. It can be such a holy moment in your home. Break bread, have communication, communion together and communication together. That's good as well. Um, and think on these blessings that we have in Christ. 
Think on the implication. If that's true, then what does that mean for me? What does that mean for others? And the, and the real, uh, what's the best word for it? The, the emotion or the, the, the thing I want to take out from this is gratitude. When we look at the plan of God, we should go, marvelous. How marvelous, like the old hymn writer wrote. How wonderful is my Savior's love for me. And my song will ever be. That song carries on. I'm butchering it, but it's something like that. All praise to God. Father, as we close this morning, I want to thank you for your word. I want to thank you for how it comes into our brokenness. And Lord, I get so muddled sometimes, and all of us do, and we get caught up in our sin and caught up in our busyness. And yet your word just comes and so beautifully centers us and reminds us of who you are and who we are and what you've done and what you have for us and what you're calling us to. And it's so practical and we're so thankful. We bless you for today. We bless you for your son, Jesus, as we take communion together. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you guys. God bless you.